everybody we're here at the use guys in that podcast with a friend of the podcast friend of the, of the host sal mayweather sal how are you good 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 what's up guys thanks for having me i appreciate it yeah thanks for coming on uh you know i'm sure that uh chris angel and i will eventually get to some of the uh major topics that uh, we've all been witnessing unfold in the last few days tragically um and uh we'll get to some of that but uh you know, you have such a big pull in the uh, in the liberty movement, in the anarchist movement, and you've brought a lot of people over to agorism or agorism, however you want to call it, including myself. I didn't really call myself a, an ANCAP. I was never there because, like so many other people, I would say that uh, I was always suspicious of, of big business and, like, you know, glorifying these titans of industry or what have you. I, I more think of, you know, like free market and uh, versus mm. capitalism, so to speak, or, you know, the, the traditional sense. But I wanted to get a feel uh, for what was your fil- uh, philosophical or political journey? Like, how did you come to find anarchism and what brought you to where you are today with being an agorist? Well, <clears throat> I, I guess I always started, I was always like uh, sort of like a uh, constitutionalist, small government kind of guy. Really, my whole life I was a libertarian. I just never knew what the term was. Um, and then I remember watching Ron Paul in the debates, I don't know if it was 2008 or 2012, and I can remember thinking to myself, at this point I was a, a, a war hawk, I was a, a neoconservative, it was awful, I'm ashamed to admit it, but uh, I, was, I was watching Ron Paul and I can remember thinking to myself, man, the only guy who's making any sense is the one that I'm, I'm supposed to think is crazy. So let me, let me look into this guy a little bit more, and then I went right down the rabbit hole. Next thing you know, I'm watching Walter Block and I'm reading uh, Rothbard and stuff like that. And nothing, there was always this sort of like, like, I don't know, this like feeling in the back of my head, like I was missing something. And then I read Konkin and I was like, oh, okay, because now this is, this really sort sort of uh, completes the circle. Like I, I like to think of myself, I guess we all do as like, uh, you know, somebody who believes in science and stuff. Sure. And, uh, you know, that has really made me um, have a really deep respect for, like, logic and logical consistency. And I realized, as soon as I read Konkin, I realized, wow, that's what he was going for. He was trying to create the first politically or political, the first consistent theory of political economy. And that's what really hit me so hard. Um, you know, I, I also read a lot of philosophy when I was, like, a kid. Like, I was a big nerd. I still am. And... Like that's I guess that really I also had some professors that influenced me in terms of like logic and philosophy and stuff like that. So that's really why I picked up on it so quickly, you know. I think that uh, a lot of us had a similar uh, 
journey, I guess. You know, Chris and I kind of had we, – we shared a similar path. I mean, he came more from the traditional left, I guess you could say, and I came more from the traditional right. And I think when we uh, – it's funny because I think both of us kind of got red-pilled at the same time because we watched – it's right, funny because right. we watched Alex Jones's Endgame Blueprint for Global Enslavement, and then yeah. Chris is like, I got to buy some guns. We got we got to do something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, like, I definitely came from more of like a – like a leftist background came from like a you know lower lower middle class like democratic family um i came from more of like the you know like punk rock like i've always right. been into like punk rock i'm you know musician into music playing bands so that's definitely where i came from and then like i, I think whenever i met jay here like yeah we definitely kind of found like our common ground especially on like like even though like i came from like more of like a like i said like democratic leftist kind of background right. um i've always always enjoyed firearms and like been into guns so like especially with like a lot of hardcore leftists that causes like a lot of cognitive dissonance for them right that's i mean that's that's really where jay and i kind of like found our common ground and and it just like our friendship just kind of blossomed from there that and like a a lot of jokes (laughs) for sure Well, see now i've been both right i i I should point that out i've been everywhere on the political spectrum i've basically been there i was never a communist or a socialist I mean, outside of minarchist, which I consider socialism, but other than that, I was right. never like it. That was the only thing I never was, thank God. Knock wood. Right. I was like a communist. <laughs> um, well, I want to ask you this. Uh, you know, a lot of people cite a lot of literature that was, you know, really influential in getting them to where they were, just like you mentioned, uh, Sam. And uh, I. I Here's the thing. Sometimes I think that uh, a lot of the introduction, when people start throwing literature at someone, and it, it, can, it can be kind of intimidating, like, oh, you should read Emma Goldman, or you should read uh, Voltaire yeah. and Claire, or anything like that. Is it, I, In my opinion, the, the easiest introduction, I guess, down the rabbit hole would be Anatomy of the State, because it's short. It's not a massive opus. It's not a huge work that you really have to take notes and dissect. It's ba- it's broken down really simply. And I just wanted to know from your perspective, what was the most influential on you and why? Well, I think you're right. Anatomy of the State is my go-to. That's the first thing I recommend to people for that exact same reason. And the audio book um, is read by Jeff Riggenbach. It's almost like a theatrical performance. It's got music. I mean, it's like great. And it's like you said, it's quick. It's only like 45 minutes. Um, but See, the thing is, like, I'm, I'm a, like I said, I'm a huge nerd. So, I mean, it's really hard to pinpoint one particular book or, or resource, but I, I'm a huge history nerd, right? And I was always afraid of uh, calling myself an anarchist. The whole, my whole idea was if, you know, if you call yourself an anarchist, no one's going to take you seriously. And being a huge history nerd, I'd come across Ralph Rako. And Reiko wrote a book called Great Wars and Great Leaders, A Libertarian Rebuttal. And he basically dismantles. And he, you know, he's a, a history professor, so he goes through everything. He, you know, all of his T's are crossed and his I's are dotted. But he just goes through how most of history is a lie. And he talks about, you know, the World Wars and Churchill and, uh, you know, all these different um, great wars that we're supposed to respect and glorify. And he just shows how it's all nonsense. And uh, that was really the first time that I was like, wow, what is going on here? We've been really been lied to here. And that is kind of what pushed me over the edge of accepting the term anarchism. I said, okay, well, I'm definitely not going to be whatever those guys are. I'm not, you know, right, right. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think that's like a lot of problem, like people people's misconception of what like anarchism is, just because I think a lot of people are programmed like, oh, anarchy's chaos, and like right. I think a lot of people have like a really pessimistic view of like human nature, and I kind of feel bad for them. Um, yeah, yeah, Tom Woods. Know, Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead, go ahead. Um, uh, Tom Woods has a nice quote on that. He said something like. Uh, Something to the effect of uh, the state's greatest achievement was convincing people to fear the term anarchy, and I, I've always that quote has always stuck with me. Excellent, yeah, yeah, for sure. And like I said, like, like so many people just seem to think that, like, uh, you know, like, like, I, and I've seen so many people on Twitter that are like, oh, you know, like we need laws and we need government, and and uh, I think it was. I think it. I think it was Pete Quinones that that brought up the point of like the the whole shopping cart analogy, uh, which I thought was like brilliant. You know how like most people like there's there's nothing there's no rule stating that you must return the shopping cart, uh, but most people willingly do it. You know, which is like that's like the test right there. Like for self governance, like you don't need you know an overlord or big brother looking out for you or you know the a police state to to enforce laws because most of them are fucking nonsense anyways right right and of course you know the market will always allocate the appropriate resources right so even if you don't return the cart there's somebody right. who needs a you know a, a low-paying job somebody who's working an extra job a part-time job who will go get that cart for you know 10 bucks an hour whatever it is you know absolutely uh, another question I have for you here is, you know, this kind of ties into what we were talking about as far as influential works. Like, for example, like Chris and I were talking about how in like the red pill, if you want to use that term, like to, to at least open somebody's eyes to what's going on to try to break their programming. Like, what do you, what do you think is a good example? Like, I always go with the police. Now, if, if you've, you obviously listen to the show, you know, Angel, Chris and I are, are to put it lightly, not really big fans of the blue at all. Um, and that's, again, putting it lightly. But I always go yeah. to the 25 dogs a day. Like, it's, it's really messed up that if you mention how many unarmed, uh, you know, uh, ethnic minorities or racial minorities are murdered by police or white people or whatever, that doesn't seem to affect a lot of people. But once you go to the 25 dogs a day, they kind of look at you with suspicion but curiosity at the same time saying, Really? Are you sure about that? And I'm like, well, that's what the Department of Justice is willing to admit to. Yes, 25 dogs a day on average. And that's usually the route that I go at least to try to introduce to somebody, uh, you know, to try to break that, uh, that uh, I guess, uh, programmed 15,000 hours of public education loyalty to the state and to follow their leaders. I don't know. Uh, what would be an example that, you know, if, that you've used yourself in the past if you have one? I try to tailor the approach to the individual, right? So, um, you know, if someone, uh, for example, just before on, on Twitter today, there was somebody who, uh, I guess I, had, I said something about Kaepernick and how we shouldn't glorify him because, you know, his ideology has killed more black people than the police have. And he's out there complaining about the police. So I had somebody respond who was like, Colin Kaepernick is a hero. And you could tell from their profile and their bio that they're like a social justice warrior, leftist kind of person. And my response was just, well, you know, um, <clears throat> I basically just put it just like that. If, you, if, your goal is, if your goal is to try to protect people, if you really do believe that black lives matter, you can't, you can't say that while wearing a Chase shirt. No one's going to take you seriously. Right. You know, Che has, you know, he set up concentration camps for gay people right. and black people. So you can't, you know, you can't talk about injustice while you're wearing 
you know, communist propaganda. So I think that is a sort of way you got to find what issues people are passionate about and try to show them how voluntary interaction could help solve it and how coercive action in most cases has created the problem that they're complaining about. And they just, they just are, are unable to see it because public schools have prevented them from seeing the economic or historical or logical realities of the situation, you know? Absolutely. Well put. I, I mean, that was, that was perfect. I, I couldn't right. agree more. I, I think on top of that, like I think a lot of people that, that wear the, the chase shirts do it because it's trendy and not because they actually understand the history behind it as well. <laughs> right. Well, um, <clears throat> you know, just on that point real quick, what was interesting was, you know, you guys remember that tragic shooting at Parkland high school mm-hmm. and there was the one, uh, not David Hogg, but there was like some girl. She's like a, a bald girl. She was like a yeah, lesbian or something like that. Yep. And she was from Cuba, and she's wearing a Cuban patch on her on her shirt, telling us how much we need to have gun control here. And oh. I'm thinking, wow, the irony of these people. I mean, <laughs> gosh, how? I mean, you're you, here. You are a lesbian Cuban lesbian refugee talking about how we need gun control. I mean, that's the lesbians in Cuba were executed because they had gun control. So that's right. right. Like there's no means to fucking defend yourself. You can't make this stuff up. I'm telling you, it's crazy. Spielberg couldn't come up with this. No, it's embarrassing. The truth is stranger than fiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is embarrassing. I'll never understand. Like, you know, there was an article that I shared. I forget who posted it. It was a a self-described left wing anarchist who said that uh, left-wing anarchists are fans of guns as well because they get lumped in with, uh, I guess you could say, the traditional left, if you will, that they're uh, not exactly fans of firearms. But, you know, I don't know how anybody who comes from a background... There's a guy that, uh, that, that follows me. His name is Frank. I forget his last name. And he said that he had uh, relatives that came from Romania... And uh, the, the you know the executions that happened under Ceausescu uh, uh, of of regular citizens disappearing people by their own secret police like their I guess their mirror image of the KGB and how that's why he would never give up his weapons because you know he had the old folks and his uh, his his grandparents telling stories about how there was no way for them to do anything about these goons coming to their house and taking them to do forced labor or just shooting them outright with these if there was a trial and a show trial at that. You know, it's amazing to me that, like you said, somebody from a communist country where gays were specifically targeted by the communist regime, we need gun control. No, I I think quite the opposite, actually. So um, I think that that's a really good observation. Um, The uh, the next question I have is, uh, I've heard Pete uh, Quinones talk about this as well. Uh, He comes up regularly on this show. We're all big fans of him, too. Uh, do you believe in panarchy, or do you think that only a few schools of anarchism will be able to survive based on their principles? Like, uh, the example is that the ANCOMs end up starving to death because no, they're collectivists. No, I don't. I don't think that... Uh, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> I, I don't think that anyone else uh, is an anarchist, right? I don't think that... The only ones who actually are anarchists are the agorists. That's why I try to... You know, I tell people the choice is binary. You're either an agorist or you're a communist. Really, there's no, there's no compromising from a logical perspective. Either you believe in free markets and freedom and liberty, or you don't. If, there, if you, you have any exception to that rule, then, then, then that's, that's communism. You know, if you say, oh, well, I believe in free markets except for, insert whatever, police, courts, military, th- then you believe in socialism, right? Uh, all of those services are provided in a socialized manner. So, uh, you know, the whole idea of having, you know, sometimes you hear people talk about anarcho-coalitionism, the idea that we could or that we should have this 
huge group of anarchists and we'll fight it out in the end and whoever it'll be a battle of ideas but this is nonsense because you can't gorism and communism can't can't coexist you know konkin konkin was working on a book when he died called agora contra marxa and it was all about how gorism and marxism are the opposite and uh i think a lot of people get that confused i mean even to this day i get people i think i don't know why it's so highly misunderstood, but people think that like agorism is like a branch of like socialism or something. And we try to explain to them, no, it's not, it's not accurate at all. You know, we get people to say that we're leftists for a variety of reasons, but the fact of the matter is the whole left right paradigm is a fiction, right? The, the true dichotomy is the individual versus the state. It's all of us for ourselves Absolutely. versus politicians. Absolutely. You know, yeah. I've said that too. You know, Chris and I had had this conversation before, where I was like, you know, we're using this, right. uh, this, this, you know, this political spectrum that comes from the French Revolution, which is absolutely absurd. That in 2020 we have to find right. ourselves on this ridiculous scale. It's either you're for freedom or authoritarianism. It depends on the level right. of authoritarianism, but you have to pick between those two. Those are your choices. Right. Exactly. And there's uh, there's a neuroscientist. He's a he's a Democrat, leftist, communist guy. Um, he's a professor of neuroscience at Emory University in Georgia, and he's got this book that he wrote a while back uh, in the John Kerry, George Bush days called The Political Brain. And he, you know, studies the... Oops, sorry, we just bumped my mic. That's all right. But uh, he studies the human brain, and um, what he was able to determine through, like, this research and stuff in neuroscience was that the difference between the what we call leftist and a rightist is really just a difference in their values. So uh, right-wing people place a higher value on fairness and left-wing people place a higher value on compassion. And that makes sense if you think about it, but in, you know, the way I look at it is, well, we, the anarchists, believe in both. Right? We, we, yeah, we just sure. don't think that you should compromise either of those principles. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> I don't know why that's controversial. Right, right. They're not like mutually exclusive. They don't have exactly. to be mutually exclusive. Things, exactly. So. It's a false yeah. dichotomy. Right, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that about like ANCOMs because once again, like Jay and I have talked about this and I'm like, in my mind, I can't, I can't reckon, like it's it's idiosyncratic to be like, I'm an anarchist and a communist. Like that doesn't. Well, like, they tried it. They right? you know, in, in the in the 19th century, in the 1800s, they had multiple multiple um, experiments. And Bob Lefebvre, who was Konkin's teacher, you can actually look up some of his old lectures from like the 70s and 80s on the Mises Institute SoundCloud, and he goes through the history of the communal socialists, and they all fell. Every single one of these experiments uh, failed, and most of them aren't even around today. Uh, and they all fail for the same reason that, you know, like Mises said, they can't calculate economically, or like Hayek said, they all suffer from the pretense of knowledge. So, uh, you know, the Duke of Bors, Proudhon, all those, all those uh, experiments are gone, and a lot of them end in a pretty funny and comical kind of way because. There will be like people who just don't want to work and like they all just kind of lay around and like Bob Lefebvre describes it in a pretty funny way. You guys should check that one out. Oh, we will. I'm already laughing yeah, at that. <laughs> I, 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 sitting I around doing nothing. That's great. That's perfect. I'm trying not to laugh too loud into my mic. So. <laughs> I guess we kind of jumped the gun because I, uh, I really wanted to ask you, like I posted this, like you had posted something on Twitter and I responded because it was something to do with an ANCOM. And I got to ask, are most of these people – 
Bolsheviks in disguise, because anytime I see them, the major- like I'm talking about, if out of ten cases, there it's at least nine that are that are really Bolshevik, where they're talking about using violent means to get what they want, to coerce people into living the way that they want to. So, I mean, are are ANCOMs really just Bolsheviks in disguise, or are the majority of do you feel that the majority of them really are Bolsheviks? But I mean, they just they don't know it yet. I mean, what do you think about that? I, I think all of them are um, universally. I mean, there's no such thing as compassionate communism, right? You, you can't <laughs> steal my money in a in a kind way, right? True. You, can't, <laughs> you, you, you can't you can't steal someone's paycheck and, and and you know shake their hand afterwards. It doesn't make any sense. True. Um, you know, a, a lot of it I think comes down to just stupidity. I think I think some of them, to be honest, are just so. And it's not their fault. I blame the public schools. And the the school system, but I think a lot of them just don't understand how uh, you know. And I'm I'm right here in New York City, like I'm like five minutes away, so I I, I deal with these people on an everyday basis. Uh, I, I there's no other place in the world except New York City where you can actually meet an anarcho communist on the street. And I'm telling you, these people are morons. Like they have <laughs> nothing upstairs. Like I'm I'm, I'm trying to put it lightly. <laughs> like it's bad. It's like so I, I understand how AOC. <laughs> I understand how AOC comes up with some of the crazy stuff that she says. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I mean, that answers the question uh, uh, very authoritatively. Do you, do you think that they just don't think their opinion all the way through, like all of the steps that it would take to achieve whatever goal it is that they have in mind that they're arguing with you about? Do you think they just haven't thought it all through, or do you just legitimately think that they're stupid? I don't think that I don't think they've been taught the, the the requisite historical or economic doctrines to understand the issues that they're discussing. So, like, we talk about like uh, you know, healthcare is a big one, and they'll say, "Oh yeah, of course we need universal healthcare, right?" The government, of course, the government should be providing healthcare. That's crazy. You want somebody to go without healthcare? What kind of monster are you? <laughs> right. You have to explain to them that you know, of course, you want everybody to have healthcare. The best way to to make that happen. Is through voluntary exchange and not not by the at the point of a gun, and when you when you you know put it like that, then they you know you can start to see the 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 light bulbs go off in their head because pe- the human beings are just prone to reason, right? We're all rational beings, so if you present an idea that's reasonable to somebody, they're they're gonna have a hard time uh, rejecting it, you know? Right, right. I mean, I, just like to me, like anything that's like communism, like at the end of the day requires some sort of central authority. And like right. that, that like completely goes against like, like the ethos of any sort of anarchism. So exactly like, like it, it's like, they're like, like you said, they're polar fucking opposites, man. Just totally, totally different. The two totally yeah. Different yeah. Ideologies. Exactly. And, and I, I can't tell you how many times a day I'll have some so, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes here. Uh, communist, <laughs> anarcho, anarcho communist, and I'm like, you're not an anarcho, anarcho communist because the term anarcho communism is a lot like saying married bachelor, right? It's the same <laughs> thing, <laughs> right? You know, like you can't. Right? It's impossible. It's it's a logical impossibility. Yeah. Well, yeah. Fair enough. I couldn't agree more. I, it just I, I I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, you know, but. Like for example, we're we're not too far away from where the um, uh, the Republican National Convention took place uh, four years ago, and uh, I was watching the television before I went off to work, and they're like, oh, you know, these uh, there's anarchist groups that came up to to Cleveland 
to protest or you know get into it with people or what have you because the bikers for Trump were there and like well this is a great combination uh, you know they and I see the first thing I see is a red banner with a gold hammer hammer and sickle and I'm like hold on a fucking minute here you know that like that I can't <laughs> right, wait I, a minute I the understand. anarchists want government health care yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It's, 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 it's like a joke. I'm telling you, though. I honestly, I don't, I don't think Steven Spielberg can come up with this script. I really don't. Right, right. Yeah, it's like, it's like I don't know. Like, like, I have a hard time, like, really figuring out, like, if it's, like, just blatant ignorance or, or uh, like, a disinformation campaign or, or somewhere in between those two. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, it hats off to the public schools, though, because you can only get this effect after decades and decades of brainwashing and indoctrination. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well said. Yeah. You know, speaking of, uh, you know, you brought up, uh, you know, the book that uh, that uh, Sam was writing about, uh, again, you know, comparing the two, uh, agorism versus Marxism. Uh, do you think that the word capitalism is salvageable, and should we opt for using free market exclusively because of the negative connotations that come with the word capitalism it could be you you, you might be right um sam certainly felt that way and i know per Byland, another agorist who i have nothing but respect feels that way um you know as far as i'm concerned potato potato uh you know whatever someone decides to call it as long as we're talking about free markets um I'm not as quick to concede vocabulary to the to the leftists or to the communists, um, just because I think it's a slippery slope. I think once, you know, that that seems to be their modus operandi for quite some time now. As they try to take a term and turn it against us, right? Just like they did, with, like we were discussing earlier about the term anarchy. That's the same thing with the term capitalism. Um, so you know, I don't, you know, you talk, whether they call it voluntarism or agorism or capitalism or free markets, as long as it doesn't include initiatory violence I'm, I, I'm happy with it you know all right excellent um and lastly for me just the question i had was uh you know what do you feel as an individual is the greatest threat to the people in the liberty movement uh, as a group the federal reserve 100 percent. i think that the federal reserve is sort of uh, that's the head of the snake because right. the belly uh, they, of the beast right exactly yeah the, if it wasn't for the Fed, they wouldn't be able to afford to murder us. They wouldn't be able to afford to maintain the, the welfare-slash-warfare state. I mean, 20 years of war, the only way you, you can pull that off is with a, by counterfeiting money. And that's, that's exactly what they've done. And, you know, no better example than what they've done in the last, what, month or two now. And they're, they'll, they'll continue to do, I think. But that's, that's really how they're able to – that's how they fund police departments and uh, shutdowns and lockdowns. Uh, that's how Cuomo – Every, the whole country is about to pay for the um, New York shutdown because they're going to have to uh, inflate. They're going to have to monetize all that debt. So without the Fed, they wouldn't be able to get away with any of this. And uh, that is really, I think, um, was, that, that's the Achilles heel to the beast, you know. All right. Excellent. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I know right. that uh, my, my friend Chris here uh, has uh, some questions about, uh, or excuse me, that he would like to ask you. Chris, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, the, it's all yours, man. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah, it, was, it actually winds up being like a kind of like a perfect transition. So m most of my questions actually involve crypto, uh, cryptocurrency. So um, like I'm going to like my first question is just going to be kind of like like I'm just going to pretend like I'm stupid here because I, I really want to hear, you know, your explanation on this. But uh, so like, like what kind of advice 
would you give for someone that's that's just getting into say like investing into crypto? I would say it, it depends. Don't I would don't invest, right? If okay. you're if, yeah. if the if the idea is to get rich, uh, yeah, no, no, not not get to, but so yeah, forgive my wording there, but like, like, how do just you to get involved? Basically, yeah, how do you get started with crypto? Well, it, it's it's interesting. It's because you're, you're you're still in the early days, right? I mean, it's only eleven years old, so this is really still the wild west, sort of. I mean, the governments are starting to take notice of what we've been up to, but frankly, it's too little, too late. I, I don't think they're going to have a chance. But what I would what I would suggest is to have a diverse array of cryptocurrencies. You want to have as many of these as possible because there are so many of them and you don't know, uh, you know which one is going to have the greatest potential. So I try to find the best ones I can and uh, you know I, I have a bunch. I try to acquire as much of that those currencies as possible. I don't like to use fiat currency. Um, I really only... I get paid in fiat for my job and stuff like that, and you know, Same obviously, thing. you know, sure. people, employers, and contractors pay me and stuff like that. But as soon as I get that money, I turn it into uh, you know, gold, silver, or Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Dash, Monero, uh, Ethereum. There's a there's a bunch of different cryptocurrencies that I like, but I, I suggest um, you want to go with the ones that are a scalable, which means that you know they can grow. And not have uh, problems with network congestion. Okay. Uh, you know, if you have a small network and the whole world adopts it, then that network is going to move really slowly. So you want to have a, a cryptocurrency that has a good network, and also you also want something that's going to be private. That's the key because mm -hmm. the government is going to, as they become more and more tyrannical, that's how they're going to clamp down on people by tracing your transactions on the blockchain. Right, the blockchain ledger for Bitcoin. And really, all pseudonymous chains is is publicly available. So if I have your your address, I can find out. Okay, you sent this amount of Bitcoin to these addresses on this date. And they, if the government wants to, they can sort of piece together a narrative like that. But if you use a privacy coin like Monero or Dash or Zcash or something like that, then uh, you sort of obscure your identity and your transactions a little bit more effectively. But Really, my idea, my 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 advice is this: Don't expect to get rich. Just expect to get more free, get, get have yeah, more yeah. liberty. You know, and yeah, I was gonna say that's definitely like my my thought process behind it. Definitely not to get rich, but just getting away from the idea of using fiat currency and like a centralized currency that's controlled right. by you but, know like Federal Reserve, central banks, and stuff like that. Yeah, of course, you know. The thing is, like, I don't want to pay to murder children on the other side of the world that I've never met. So they, right. you know, I'm not interested in doing that. So I tried not to. I try to distance myself from the Federal Reserve as much as possible. Um, so yeah, I, I you know, I, I would suggest scalable coins, private coins, and have as much of it as possible. I, I just have to say, you know, when you put it that way, Sal, I think that a lot of people who, you know. When I hear that, that really does have that, that. That definitely motivates me to buy more of it because when you put it that way, you know, every every dollar, like you said, every dollar you deprive the state, you're not funding the war machine. You're not funding the salaries of policemen who are killing black folks exactly. in the street. I mean, that really that, that really resonates at least with me, and I know that it would probably resonate yeah, with a lot of people. So I think that that's an excellent point. But the, you know. Just to go back to what Chris was saying, one of the positive benefits, uh, a side effect really, a cursory point, is that you do get rich, right? You are going to make money, right? 
as long as you bet against the government, uh, you'll I think that you'll you'll do fairly well. And that's you know if you look at the price of Bitcoin, the price of gold, or the price of silver, the price of guns over the last ten years, twelve years, fifteen years since they've really become tyrannical. I mean, they were always tyrannical, but since they've really right. gotten to gear, uh, all those prices have, all those assets have appreciated, you know, greatly, greatly. Right. So, yep. you know, as long as you bet against them, you you will make some money and get free in the in the process. Right. I was gonna say, I think it was, I think it was in one of your podcasts where you where you were talking about how it's like the only effective means is to starve the beast. Um, yeah, you know, which like that really that really strikes a chord with me. Like I. I I fucking love that idea. <laughs> I mean, th- I mean, think about it, right? Like, we can go door to door and tell people, "Hey, make sure you call your congressman and have them vote to audit the Fed." And you can go to the next door. You can do this for your whole life, <laughs> right? They're right, not and, it's, and it's never, yeah, you're never right. going to accomplish anything, right? I mean, that's just like, to get an audit. Never mind, end it. So, I mean, that's right, how right. Is, you know? <laughs> Let's start a change.org petition, guys. Yeah, right. Wasn't, <laughs> wasn't that enough? Like, it was you don't, a, you don't, if you were a prisoner, you don't ask the prison guard to let you out, right? You, no. You try to tunnel out or something. <laughs> well, do you remember that when uh, Ron gotta, Paul was still in Congress and he uh, said Ben Bernanke that he, you know, that he have a right to see because you know that he was on the committee for the Federal yes. Reserve and he said, you know, we have a right to look at what you're doing. And Ben Bernanke didn't even he didn't even make eye contact. He goes no, like he just yeah. said no, like. I, at that, when I saw that, that was kind of like, wow. I, you know what? I really am on the right fucking track because this is ridiculous. I, the, the fact that you can look at somebody like him, no, excuse me, not even look at him, not even make eye contact, contact really, and just say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to hand over the books. I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. That's when you know, you know, they're about as federal as fucking FedEx. You know, right, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> right, well, yeah. and you know the, the 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 crazy part about that is that whoever thought that Bernanke would look like uh, a dove compared to what we have today? No kidding. You know that's that's right. that's crazy. Yeah, it's just gotten worse. So, Chris, what um, else you got for us? Yeah, so I, I got a couple more. So you you actually kind of inadvertently already answered my second question, which was. Other than Bitcoin, what other forks of crypto do you use or recommend? So you already answered that, answered it flawlessly. Thank you. Um, so I, I've heard you mention it a, a couple times, um, and I just kind of wanted to get like your ex. Like, what what is the Lightning Network? So that is that, that's on BTC Bitcoin, and that okay. is the whole idea is that they're going to try to make. Uh, they're trying to make Bitcoin usable for payments, but they don't want to increase the block size. Okay. So I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't know, I don't want to lose you guys in the weeds too much. But essentially, a real quick description is you can think of like a block in a blockchain, like a stack of checks, and each miner, uh, anybody who's running mining software, that block goes to the miner. The miner verifies, yes, all these transactions did actually occur. The transactions get confirmed, and that that block that sh- that block of checks gets chained onto the next block, and that's how we get the term blockchain. Yeah. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I don't know. It, it, it's it's sort of interesting that the Lightning Network is is an attempt to sort of uh, because they won't raise the block size limit, they have to sort of compensate for that some way. And that the Lightning Network is their attempt to do so. And the way they do it, I think, is flawed. But I, I catch a lot of flack for saying that. The way it works is if you and I were going to transact with one another, we open up an, a, a channel between mm-hmm. us. 
and you know, let's say I'll give you a better example because that really doesn't work. We, I mean, let's say you buy coffee from the same person every day. Okay. And you want to pay in Bitcoin. Well, rather than paying the average Bitcoin fee, which is like five or six bucks, you guys open a Lightning Network channel, and you each have to fund the channel. So you each put five or ten bucks in because you're only buying coffee. And let's say you have ten bucks and they have ten bucks, so the whole channel has twenty dollars in it. Now you guys can transact effortlessly uh, up to the amount of twenty dollars. Anything okay. past that, you can't do though. So if you want to, if you want to transact on these Lightning ch- Lightning channels with any Anything more than that, you have to add money to the to the channel. Okay. I don't think that this is a feasible way to scale a cryptocurrency. Right. I don't think so, that you're gonna you're gonna get people to open up channels at Target and McDonald's and Seven Eleven and wherever else you're shopping. You can't have a channel open and money stuck in these uh, channels uh, right. endlessly. And if we if we look at the statistics, it's not really working out, right? There's actually more. Bitcoin BTC that's been tokenized on the Ethereum blockchain than is currently locked up in Lightning channels. So, you know, an easier way to move Bitcoin, to be honest with you, would be to tokenize on Bitcoin Cash and then send it as as a token on Bitcoin Cash. And people do that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say. I guess that kind of it's complicated, but it's 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 just a technological uh, solution they have to try to make transactions work okay i was gonna say because i was curious if it was like a way to in an attempt because i know i've heard seen people complain that sometimes like transactions take forever Uh, yeah i was just i was just kind of curious if it was like some sort of way to like speed up transactions it is it is but you know another another thing quickly about the lighting network is that uh it's it's only enforceable by using deterrence punishment. So the way it works is, let's say we have that channel open, and one of us tries to close the channel. Once the channel gets closed, then those that whole all the transactions that occurred that gets put on the blockchain, and then it gets confirmed. So it's really the, all the okay. tra- all the transactions on the light on the Lightning Network are off chain, so they're not even really uh, Bitcoin okay, transactions. Gotcha. It's right, really right. it's really reduced Bitcoin. To just being a token used to settle the balance on the on a, on Lightning channels, okay, whereas okay. in like in like Bitcoin Cash, for example, which is the fork that I use, uh, you know, there's there's none of this. It's just instant transactions. The fees are like less than a cent. It works how you would expect cash to work, you know. Right, right. Um, so I, I, my last question about crypto before we branch off into some current topics but uh i mean i guess you kind of sort of answered a little bit of this but aside from what was just mentioned like what are what are what are some like other ways that that makes using crypto like either easier quicker more convenient just because obviously you know like you said you can't go into target and spend bitcoin directly right um not directly you can't uh I've got a good article on the the New Libertarian called Becoming Your Own Bank, and I just did an episode um, with Joel Valenzuela, who's into Dash, about this, called Becoming Your Own Bank. But there's a couple things you could do. One of the easiest ways to do it, um, but the only problem, you can use use the BitPay card. So it's, it's, I don't don't, don't think it's KYC, and you just, it's almost like a top-up card. You send, you know, 50 bucks of Bitcoin to your card, and then you have fifty dollars worth of Bitcoin. You can swipe and spend at your leisure anywhere they accept Visa. Okay. Um, there's another way you could do it though, because the problem is obviously you have to top up your card. So you have to, you know, right. if you're going to go grocery shopping. 
you don't know how much you're going to spend. You have to put on more than you're going to spend just in case. You know what I mean? So right. one solution to that is uh, something called bit refill, which is like you just go on your phone and you could sort of uh, it makes it, it sort of streamlines the process a little bit easier. But it's an app you, that you could download called bit refill. I use the BitPay card. I used to use they used to have uh, the shift card. And of course, until the IRS and, you know, all those parasites got involved. <laughs> Yeah, I was yeah, because I, 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 I actually I, I believe I listened to that podcast and because uh, I remember, I think it was, they were talking about how they, uh, you know, like would like exchange it and and get like gift cards. Yeah, as, as right. Um, and I guess like the way it works is you could buy the gift card. I don't I don't use BitRefill, but the way Joel describes it to me is you could buy the gift card right on your phone. So. Okay. You know, it's, just a, it's just a few taps on your phone, and then you just sort of swipe out. And it, it, according to Joel, it, it does add a few taps on your phone, but uh, right. it, it sort of does streamline. It makes the process more streamlined, I should say. Okay. Okay. But you know, the other thing too is I'm willing to go through. I'd rather press more buttons on my phone than fund the the banking cartel. Absolutely. Right. No question. Right. I was going to say a few a few taps on your phone really isn't. Small that price of pay, not yeah, yeah. yeah, a minor, minor inconvenience. Right. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank, thank you for answering those questions for me. Um, so, so I guess like that, that kind of ends my uh, line of questions on crypto. Um, so, whenever I, uh, I this is going to open it up to everybody. So, Angel and Jay, like, feel free to chime in whenever. But obviously, the main topic going on, George Floyd. Um, the riots going on. Um, I actually saw that you uh, posted on Twitter about uh, how pigs were the ones who started the uh, the riots and the looting. And I, I'd watched that video, the dude with the gas mask and the umbrella. Um, like, how how valid do you, do you believe that is that it, it was agent provocateurs and or undercover cops that were going around and and actually starting the the window smashing and and the rioting. Um, there's no doubt in my mind they, they've done it before and they're going to do it again. Um, right. You know, just a you could just a, take a trip through YouTube real quick and there's no shortage of videos showing them at protests doing the same thing. And other police protests in Ferguson and in New York after Gardner, they were doing it here. Uh, they all do it. I mean, that is sort of the tactic, right? They need to... It, right. It's hard. You you can't conquer a people that are united. You damn sure can't conquer a united American people who are well armed, right? That's not going to happen. Mm. So the only mm-hmm. way to do right. it is you have to change the narrative. Oh, it's it's white versus black. It's uh, look at these poor business owners. Look what they're doing. But it's really right. the cops who are really pushing that div- that divisive uh, propaganda. That's all right. it is. It's all an right. attempt to maintain their illusion of power. Yeah, divide and conquer, and and delegitimizing their protests. And didn't he? I, th- I I could be wrong, but I heard somewhere I read somewhere that he ended up they ended up getting that guy on camera running into the police station, and he never yeah. ran out. Yes, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yep, that's yeah. That is that is yeah. what I had seen and heard was that he uh, a bunch of people were following him. They were like they were like like heckling him. They're like, "Are you a cop?" Are you a cop? And he just was like very nervous and like ran away. And and that's you know what I had heard and seen was that he, yeah he escaped and, into into the police station. And where's the accountability? Like where is the calls for the police commissioner to explain why taxpayers were funding someone to knock out the windows of AutoZone? Right. It, it, there's just a, zero accountability. 
and that's that's the whole problem when you when you socialize a good or a service is that you're, you're removing uh, any accountability whatsoever. I don't even know why they attacked that AutoZone other than obviously that um, police officer who was disguised as a protester started it, obviously. But then they started burning everything down. And I'm like, wait, AutoZone's useful. Can you just go burn down something else? Like, leave AutoZone like, alone. Somebody needs a spare tire, dude, or a battery. Yeah. Like, let's not fuck up right. somebody's, you know, uh, transportation, you know, station. their commute or something, you know? <laughs> And, th- and that's the whole thing too. Is if, if these if these rioters had burnt down the police station, nobody would care. Right. right exactly. <laughs> right, right. You, like, you couldn't find a jury of twelve Americans to convict you. So I mean, stay away <laughs> from the, the the businesses and head over to the government buildings. Yeah, please. Right, yeah, right. and burn those down. Dear. We've been trying for ages. I mean, you got. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're right. there now. Go for it. And you know that's you know that's the thing I wanted to ask you too about. Like while we're on the topic, I've I've used it several times. I call them, I, you know, I, every time I tweet something out or try to talk to somebody in person, I always say, just remember, this is the standing army that, you're, that, that, our, uh, that the founding fathers warned us of. And I really believe that. It's not just, you know, trying to gin up interest. I really believe that this is an army of occupation because they certainly aren't members of the community. They certainly aren't. They don't have the best interest of the community at heart. They don't. They just follow orders. And, you know, like we were talking, uh, Chris and Angel and I were talking that that's at the Nuremberg trials that was determined that you can't you can't use that in an act of war you can't just say I was just doing what I was ordered to do but yet the police can domestically here I mean this is a problem this is a very serious problem yeah yeah no no doubt um, <clears throat> you know like I said th- there's no accountability I think I think that's the whole issue it really comes down to uh, you, you it's a say literally you know Pete has this the documentary coming up, the monopoly on violence, and that's exactly the problem. Like he hits the nail on the head in the title, um, and you know, just going back to what you said about uh, the standing army, it's right, it's written in there with what the founders said. Um, that's why they wanted us to have not not be uh, you know well armed. They wanted us to be better armed than the state. Right, we were supposed right. to have more guns, better guns than them. Not, well, not the other way around. Right. You right. Know, if Jefferson and Franklin were around today, they would they would be spinning in their graves with what they see the police killing people in the street. They're going on vacation for two weeks. <laughs> it, it, you know, this is the opposite of what they wanted. And yeah, absolutely. You know, this is why they said they didn't even want a professional military because they feared a standing army, and that's exactly what happened. Look at all the the military equipment that's wound up on the streets of Minneapolis, Ferguson, New York. I mean, we've, we still have Bearcats rolling around New York City with this whole coronavirus excuse. So, I mean, right. I, you, you hit the nail on the head when you say the standing army. I couldn't agree with that more. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's like we, I think it was the last podcast we did where I just, we were talking about, I just finished listening to the audio book for uh, uh, Radley Balco's uh, Rise of the Warrior Cop. Yes, and like, like, holy shit, man! Yeah. <laughs> but like, but like, this is it. Like, like, why in the hell do small town like they're talking about like the like you know like small cities between you know twenty five population of twenty five and fifty thousand? Like, what the hell do they need SWAT teams with APCs and 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 like fifty caliber fucking belt fed machine guns? Like, I, I got news get- for you, man. There's only one reason why they need it. Right, <laughs> right, right. Good. It's nothing yep. good. Yeah. Yeah, no, nothing good at all. Absolutely, you know, I mean, that's just it. Like they're they're turning cops they're meant into, for us. into yeah, absolutely, and they're turning cops into you know, like Jay says, they're the standing army, and that's yeah. exactly they're they're militarizing it. Like, 
Like, like fucking cops don't need grenade launchers. They don't <laughs> like, RPGs, like it's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not only that, but we've seen what happens when they do have this equipment, right? Oh, um, right. You know, we just had the anniversary of the move bombing in Philadelphia where they literally got into a helicopter and dropped explosives onto a building and murdered a bunch of people. So, right. You know, if anybody shouldn't have guns, it's not my neighbor that I'm concerned about. It's Officer Bob. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Exactly. 100%. And uh, do you think that, um, you know, Waco was just done on Netflix, and, of course, there's uh, some egregious uh, issues. I'm glad, you know, once again, if it's an introductory thing that gets people into, gee, really, the, the ATF is this horrible, the FBI is this horrible, if that gets you down that rabbit hole i'm all for it but you know when the fbi uh is is weeping at what's happening we literally have photographs of the atf standing and behind them are the corpses burnt up of kids and other people in that compound and then i remember from the hbo documentary years ago i think this was almost 25 no it can't be 25 it was probably around year 2000 1999 they did a documentary on it, and the ATF, after it was all over, the, the, the Branch Davidians had this Davidian flag, which you see in the do, in the uh, docu-series, that has like the Star of David on it, there's like a snake or something like that. Well, they pull that down after the compound is burnt to the ground, and all the people are incinerated, and they run up, the, the, the first they run up the, the Stars and Stripes, and then they run up the ATF flag, as if... This we have conquered this fortress, just like you would see in the medieval era. Right. We we bring down your banners and we put our banner up and we run the fucking show here. And I, I if that gets people on board, because this is this if in any other classification, this is a terrorist organization. I mean, it, it's ridiculous that we have to be you know to bow to bend the knee to these criminals when you have the qualified immunity that goes around that protects them from actions like this. Like, if there were real justice, like I was saying to Chris before, like, I don't know how any of us can expect justice when the police, the prosecutors, and the judges all get a check from the same place. I mean, right. how do you expect that to happen? That's, I mean, I understand why Pete pushes jury nullification. He's like, hey, listen, if you have the opportunity, get up there. Be, be the, 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 the one who you know, throws a cog into the, into the works to stop this thing, especially if there's a nonviolent you know, crime that happens. You know, if you have somebody, you know, vote, if you vote to uh, uh, acquit on any kind of conviction that has to deal with nonviolent offenses, especially drug offenses and things like that. But, I mean, we can, we can make a difference a little bit at a time. But at the same time, I'm not sure what the solution is to this machine of death that comes to people's doors you know like angel and i and chris and i were talking about last week you know i'm sure you're familiar with it sal the idea of swatting people like if i'm outside let's say i'm going to the range and i and i'm taking like my 22 and i have a rifle case if i have a neighbor that doesn't like me he can call 911 and say hey listen my neighbor's walking around he's got a gun case he was yelling at people i don't know what his problem is i will have the swat at my house in seven and a half minutes, and my dog will be dead along with my kid and my wife. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's and it happens on a much more regular basis than I think they or any of us would like to admit. So, what do you think is um? Since you know, I, I do have to give you a lot of credit because you 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 put it really well when you're talking about the boogaloo and how it is ridiculous, and I do agree with you. And seeing as how. I, I did raise the question during the podcast uh, with Angel, and I believe I did also with Chris. When, if, if these guys are truly committed to this revolution, let's say, okay, when, what is going to be the moment you decide to go after them? Because you've had multiple 
examples happen recently where the you know what the the boog boys should be out on the street you know you know doing what they said that they're going to do and they have it now i understand that they've showed up in minneapolis and you know the flag was spotted with the igloo on there what have you but any of the first of all i don't think that uh their their chances of success are very high because you know the uh state has drones and I'm not, and I'm not talking about the little ones that can spy on you. I'm talking ones that they fly over Pakistan <laughs> and Afghanistan that use Hellfire missiles and kill people and double tap people. So I'm not sure what they're going to accomplish other than killing themselves. But what what is the the solution that you think is good with regard to law enforcement, to police brutality, to you know, uh, to avoiding or trying to avoid any kind of contact and also how to, I don't want to say combat, because that's not the right word, that's not what I'm trying to come across with, but um, how to mitigate uh, their uh, their power, so to speak. Well, I think there's there's always OPSTAC, right? You should, there's always, especially for agorists and counter-economists, there's always operational security that, you know, you want to protect your identity, protect yourself, you want to conceal yourself or your identity, your location, and there's different ways that we have of doing that using, you know, technologies like VPN and Tor and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure that we're going to be able to completely. Uh, we're going to eventually. There's going to be confrontations with these groups, and I don't think the way to do that is to square off with the ATF. Uh, I think it's much easier to operate underground. Uh, you know, Harriet Tubman freed a lot of slaves by using the black and gray markets. But she didn't try to face down the Union Army, right? Look what happened when they, when they tried that. So, yep. you know, I, I, I think there is the idea of, of the black and use, of using the, the black and gray markets. It is about logical consistency, but it also is the only pragmatic approach that we have. Now, the other thing I'll say is that I think that there is some value in prodding the beast. Um, the more... The more free we get, the more tyrannical that they're going to have to be. And I think that people start to pay attention. So uh, how many people are waking up to the reality of police violence by looking at what happened to uh, George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or Kenneth Walker or Ahmaud Arbery or Duncan Lamp or any of the other thousands of people that they murder every year? Those are the stories that sort of, you know, every person they kill breeds 10 anarchists. So it's not, of course, you don't want anybody to die, but it's it's the sort of the market's way of naturally decentralizing. It's sort of um, it's it's entropy, right? It's it's the tendency towards decentralization, and it's just the market's way of putting that into place. Well, fair enough. Um, right, well put, well put. Yeah, I, I I do like the. I mean, this obviously all of this stuff will be in the show notes for people to look up on their own. But I think that that's an excellent example and. I mean, again, I don't, like you said, squaring off against the most powerful military in the history of the human race, I don't think it's, I mean, they're not even going to build statues for you when it's over. You know, it's not, it's, no. it's not going to be good. No. Right. You know, really, the whole concept of, of uh, the boogaloo or using violence to free yourself, really, there's three problems. One, it's inconsistent, right? It's not logically consistent with the non-aggression principle. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't buy the whole self-defense thing. If somebody breaks, if the, like what Ken, Ken Walker, like you guys were talking about, I don't know if it was an episode or two back, that was self-defense, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. 
walking into the state house and shooting everybody you see, that isn't self-defense. That's murder. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a violation of the non-aggression principle. So I think it's inconsistent um, and it's immoral. It's also, like I said, it's not pragmatic. It's much more effective to uh, use the black and gray markets. Look at everybody who's tried to have a violent revolution. Uh, Cromwell, with the English in the 1600s, they what they cut the king's head off, and he became the you know de facto dictator. He was so despotic that within a generation, they were the people of England were literally begging the former king's heirs to come back and rule over them. That's right. Uh, Robespierre is another example, or uh, George Washington. Ask uh, the Pennsylvania farmers how they feel about uh, the benevolence of, of George Washington, right? Yeah, it makes right. no difference to them if it's King George or President George. They're still be, they're paying the tax, right? Yeah, and it's at the point of a gun, one way or the right. other. And you know, and mm-hmm. Cromwell was so bad that they dug him up when it was when they restored the monarchy. They dug him up and they uh dis- they, they they hanged his corpse posthumously for, and put it on yeah. display because it was he was and not to mention what of course what he did in Ireland. I mean he. He was well, that right. was one of the early examples of yellow journalism, where you had the the English press, not so much the British press, but you had the English press saying that the uh, the the Catholics in Ireland were were killing Protestants and eating them, and they had tails like devils. And guess who had a huge stake in the company that went over there during the plantation? Oliver Cromwell did. I mean, all the things that we experience now, like you know the insider, uh, you know the the deals with the contractors and like the Halliburton stuff that happened in the Second Iraq War. These things have been going on forever. There's always, you know, the, right. the, 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 oh, the yeah. state is always going to do it. Like, that's just how they operate. I mean, you can go, you can go all the way back. I mean, look at the British East India Company. Mercantilism was a major problem. And it remains a major problem to this very day. I mean, that's what caused, you know, most, if not all of the wars that we unfortunately have to experience. Yeah, well said. Well said. Angel, do you got something over there? I had something, but then my brain, you know, focused on I was thirsty, and then I lost it. Um, so, <laughs> I <laughs> it happens. I, I lose focus easily, guys. I'm sorry. Um, so, right. I was going to just mention, do you think that the state has amped it up a notch lately with these killings? Or do you think that this is you know, status quo for them? The killings, no. The killings is status quo. And if you look at the numbers, they've been they've been averaging between like, they've been averaging around one to 1,500 uh, murders um, a year. That's about the amount of Americans they kill every year. That's, that's sort of been static uh, for a while now. Um, where I do think they've amped it up, though, is in terms of central banking. That has been... In my opinion, that's. It seems to me that that's what a lot of this comes down to. It's all about the bank, uh, you know. Even the, the virus and all of it. It's all. It's everything that's been happening. All the chaos. It's all an excuse for more money printing. It's all an excuse to try to keep this game of musical chairs going on. And what they, the, the way that you do that is you need to flood the economy with money. So they're looking for excuses to do that, right? Um, coronavirus and, uh, you know, uh, bailing out the states and bailing out Boeing and bailing out the airlines, all these different people. These are all excuses to flood the economy with money in order to keep up their game. It's a rigged game that the central banks have been playing. And 
the 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 air is leaving the bubble, and they are using a leaf blower at this point to try to reinflate that bubble, and I don't think it's going to work. So I, I I think, you know, obviously what they've tripled the amount of money, the amount of money in circulation in the last two or three months alone, and I think that that process is just starting, and I think that that ends in hyperinflation, and I think we're starting to go down that that spiral, that deflationary spiral, you know. Right, right. I was gonna say, yeah, I've already seen how it's uh, affected, like, say, like even the price of food already, yeah. like at grocery stores, like, you know, before all this bullshit happened, like you could go and get, you know, like a, a pound of hamburger, and it was like cheap, and like the price is like more than doubled. Yeah, I, I think that that's just beginning, and I also think that it's gonna spill over. Um, you know, you see a lot of this warmongering rhetoric already beginning in terms of like China. Yep. And what scares me is that that's a great excuse for, I mean, man, if I'm a central banker right now, I'm praying for war, right? Because, wow, that that's what saves you, right? If you have a, a massive war, you need a, like a World War II style war yep. to try to keep, to keep this boat uh, on the surface. And that's exactly what this antagonism between China is, uh, is about. And I, I just hope that they don't get their way. And I hope that they, that we don't have an actively hot situation with the Chinese. Well, I think that's really, you know, I think that's really accurate because a lot of, you know, a lot of this starts to feel like the yellow cake. This starts to feel like, uh, the WMDs that we went through, uh, yes. right before the wars, because you're still, you see that the feelers are getting put out there to see if they could gin up support to go over there. The only difference is, first of all, you're fighting a power that actually has nuclear technology, that has a nuclear navy, and if you're, you know, if your goal is to get a lot of people killed, I mean, this is a great way to do it. This is definitely an excellent way to do it. This isn't going to be, you know, a simple mission accomplished walk in the park. They're going to fly your flag in Beijing when this is all over. I don't right. think you're going to make it to Beijing, and I don't think there's going to be anybody left to march in there if it really gets hot really fast. But there's a lot of money to be made in this from certain right. from certain angles. If when we all know what we're talking about here, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, think about what that what a war with China would do for to demand for the dollar, right? Demand for the dollar would skyrocket because all of a sudden you have to buy bombs and ships and planes and you know that that especially now where we have oil prices are you know zero or negative some days even. Yeah. So you know we rely on the petrodollar, and now that we don't have that support, that 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 brace isn't there anymore. So something like you know a really hot war. That sounds like, you know, if I'm a central banker, like I said, that that's, you know, that's what the doctor ordered, so to speak. Right. And that's just like such a scary idea because this isn't like we're going over and bombing some of these dirt hole countries in the Middle they've, East. Like they've it's, done it again. They've done it before in the past, right? Uh, right. None of this is, is, is beneath the central bank. Nothing is beneath the, 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 the banksters, right? They've started wars in the past for this reason, and they'll start wars in the future for the same reason. Uh you know, don't I, I don't want any of your listeners to think that they have any moral restraint. They're going to say, oh, they won't do that. They would love to see one of these right. wars, uh, uh, one of these wars turn hot, even if Absolutely. it's not our wars. Right. Like if it was India and China, they would love something like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you uh, yeah, think this war with China or like they're the you know, trying to mix it up or create a war with China. Like, what's the catalyst for that? Is it the fact that they are blaming them for the coronavirus, or is it something else? Well, it was what? It was Bastiat, I believe, who said, uh, you know, when, when when goods don't cross borders, armies will. 
and he so far history hasn't proven him wrong once and he all all trade wars eventually turn hot and that's exactly what uh, this right. cheeto dictator has done this exactly <laughs> you know he and it's not just them i mean he's we've already had uh, a missile exchange with iran so you know where does it end so far this man hasn't shown any there's no low to which he won't go to save his own ass right uh, there's no restraint there whatsoever yeah right so i i don't you know i'm i'm very pessimistic on the short term front at least in in terms of like you know foreign relations even domestic relations i i just think this is uh you know, people are like, oh, it's so twenty twenty is so crazy. Wait until twenty twenty one because then then the bill for all this comes due. That's a great point. That's a yeah, really right. good point. Uh, you know, the question I, I guess I have, uh, you know, for all of us, I suppose, uh, we've been asking this a lot. Is I hate the phrase that I keep hearing. You know, is this the new normal? Is this the new normal? Because I feel like I'm being conditioned to accept this as normal like when you don't wear a mask when you go to the grocery store and people kind of look at you and uh you know also accepting that you know we're going to have 40 million people unemployed which is, i think that's the number they're willing to tell us that, that, that right. that's the real number who knows what the real number is that rather uh right like we're how do you see this going because i don't see it's ridiculous to think that the state would give back what they take because they never do so I don't know, you know, the, you know, I think it was Jefferson says people will tolerate, you know, tyranny will go as far as people will tolerate it. I'm paraphrasing, uh, but how, how far do you see this going in the future? Because I see more, I don't think this is going to end. I think that's going to be, you know, the no handshaking, the no 10 groups or less or 10 people in a group or less, excuse me. Uh, you know, movie theaters, you know, you're only going to be able to seat like, you know, 20 people. Well, I mean, you're not going to be able to charge $20 a ticket anymore. That's for sure, because people aren't going to go. Uh, you know, where do you see, how do you see this unfolding? Do you see more of it? Do you see, you know, some of these kids down at Venice Beach are taking the sand and they're shoveling it out of the out of the skate park, which that made, made my day when I saw that everybody was working right. together. <laughs> getting, I mean, that's such a punk rock thing. It's like, or I think there was another example where there was mulch they brought dumped. They dirt bikes. Well, yeah, well, yeah. no, did you hear the mulch one where they put mulch in a, in, a, in a skate park and somebody went on Facebook and said, hey, free mulch at the park. Yeah. And with, <laughs> oh, yeah. within an within hour, hours, gone, gone yeah. nice and clean. <laughs> so there are examples of people rebelling I guess you could say in a soft way, you know, saying just civil, civil disobedience. Right. But do you see this as being a permanent state of things or do you think that the people will ratchet up the heat and you think that will that some of this will come back is what I'm asking you from your from your perspective? I think I think I think it'll come back. I think you're right, though. It's it's the, they're trying to shift the Overton window. That's what they always try to do. Uh, you know, now you have to wear a muzzle on your face everywhere you go. And if you don't, you know, that's you're 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 politically incorrect. You're not sensitive or, you know, it, it's it's just a everything they do. If you notice, like the whole, you know, where the state was 20 years ago was like 1776 compared to what we have today. Yeah. So I, I do think they, they try to shift that window. But um I think the market will return to will return to to what we consider normal because, you know, like you're saying, the movie theater. Well, the movie theater can't charge twenty dollars a seat, so their choice is to either fill up that theater or uh, go out of business. And people want to see movies, so eventually the market will fix all this. 
really, you know, you can think about all history as a battle between the state and the market. And the state is always trying to distort the market, but the market always wins, right? You, that's why they say you, you don't beat the market because, you know, voluntary exchange will always, always win that, that battle. Um, that's what the black markets are, right? That's what smuggling is. Uh, Absolutely. As long as there's a demand, somebody's going to be there to, to satisfy it. Right. So I, I think that the market will get us back on track. But uh, I do think you're right. I think that they're trying, they're trying their best to sort of shift the debate. And they might succeed. I, I generally, I think that they will succeed or over the long term, but there's going to, I think there'll be a sort of tipping point where eventually, uh, all hell's going to break loose, you know? Um, and I think we're a lot closer than people think. I, I, I personally think that we're here. I think that the bubbles pop now and people are just, they don't even realize what's happened yet. I think this is, this is sort of going to be the black swan of, uh, the near future. All right. Well, how about this one? I read an excellent book a couple of years ago. It's called American Nations, A History of the Eleven Rival yes. uh, Regional Cultures of North America. And, you know, where we live, we presently live in Yankeedom, which was established by the Puritans. And, of course, the Midlands are south of us that went through Philadelphia. And you have Appalachian culture. You have New France. You have El Norte. And uh, you have the Deep South. Now, the argument in that book, what I took away from that book, um, it's by Colin Woodard, and I'll put that in the show notes in case anybody's interested. It's an excellent, excellent read, whether you read it physically or uh, through Audible. Here's the question. Since these cultures already exist, and we've talked a lot about decentralization, you know, maybe regionalism, you know, this gradual progression to what we would hope is going to be a voluntary society or a collection of voluntary societies or how, you know, panarchy, for example, before everybody runs out of bread in certain communities. Um, do you think that that's accurate? Because the only thing that really brings the country together is you have global brands like Walmart, McDonald's, Target, for example, that's in the news right now, and the Greenback. But after, like, the country is a collection of so many different cultures that regionally break them, like, for example, like, we live in the Great Lakes area. Well, Great Lakes people are very different from people that live on the West Coast. And, of course, you live on the East Coast. You got, you know, the people that live there are a little bit different than the people that live in the middle of the country or in the South or what have you. The idea of breaking up the country at some point in time, whenever that might be, isn't that far-fetched because the, the lines are, are arbitrarily drawn. It's the cultures that exist that define where people like living. Like, for example, the Appalachian people, you know, most of them were Scotch-Irish and Irish folk that came over here that were running away from the government to begin with, and that's why they have such a rebellious reputation because that's what they want. They want to be left alone. They want to make their shine in the hills. They don't want to be bothered. And you know something? They don't bother you if you don't bother them. Like, you know, my wife and I have gone out there several times to eastern Pennsylvania, and of course we've been, to, you know, West, all of us have been to West Virginia that live in this part of the, uh, of the country. They're very nice people. I, I wouldn't bother them, but they're very nice people. They'll leave you alone. So this idea that we have to be all coalesced into one culture, first of all, is not true from the start. And then secondly, clearly I think that we could exist in different culture pockets across the plane, regardless of what the lines on the map look like. And I don't know if you took that away from, if you had, if that was a takeaway you had from reading that book or not. Yeah, no, um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, 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 that was a great book too, by the way. Uh, and I think he makes a lot of great points in there. And I, I do think that any form of decentralization is, is preferable, right? Um, in, in, 
in most, in almost all cases, you want to decentralize as much as possible, especially when it comes down to uh, the political economy. So, uh, you know, regionalism is preferable to uh, one monolithic federal system. But at the end of the day, I I I, I prefer uh, individual autonomy rather than regional autonomy. I also not I'm not convinced that. Uh, the state will ever allow such an arrangement to occur. Um, the people of South Carolina tried it and they got genocided. Um, you know, the people of Georgia tried it, they got genocided. So we, we've seen what extent the state will go to to maintain their racket. I don't think they're going to let uh, anybody go voluntarily, not without a fight at least. Um, but it is preferable, like you said, you know. Any form of any, like I said, any form of decentralization is preferable to one monolithic state. Um, and there are, like you said, there's a lot of different regional cultures. And when you combine what what uh, Colin Woodard wrote, um, especially about the Puritans, with a lot of what Rothbard Rothbard's history on the Puritans, it's really the spread of that one particular group that has screwed up the country so bad. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. They started off in like Massachusetts Bay, and before you know it, they have public schools and taxes, and now we all have public schools and taxes. So, <laughs> right. you know, if, if we could just get them to 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 leave, that would be a, a good first step. <laughs> well, it's you like know. you know, it's like Thad said in his book. <laughs> um, what is it? Uh, what was it? A Renegade History of the United States. Uh, Thad Russell. It really bothered me when you within the first 100 pages you find out that the the colonies. Now I'm not talking from the African American perspective because you still had human beings that were in chains at that point in time. Okay, I'm talking I'm talking about in the at least in the north in Philadelphia, you did have black women that were running brothels that had multiracial uh, prostitutes that were in there and people could go in there and do whatever they wanted. Uh, they were also property owners. Women had uh, uh, owned uh, taverns. And Ben Franklin was walking around the city and, you know, or, uh, and, and, and like, you know, kind of like, well, I'm not sure I like this. And then, of course, when John Adams comes around, it's an entirely different story uh, because he brought Puritanism with him. All of those people from the Northeast came came with him. and the fact that the colonies for uh, by, by and large compared to today were far were more free than we are now after the revolution. You know, and the point that I, I, I saw another author make was that, you know, in colonial Boston, if you saw a red coat, people people would often curse at them and tell them to go have intercourse with themselves and, you know, get the hell out of here, <laughs> all these other things. And they would just stand there and take it. I as much as I don't like the police, I also don't like getting shot. So I don't usually, uh, I, I tend to just, you know, because I have the dog in the car, I'm like, shit, I don't want you to shoot the fucking dog, so we're just going to keep going. <laughs> right. But, you know, you can't, it, like, the me- I was talking to Chris uh, a, little, a, little bit, a little bit ago, the measure of uh, how free your society is is how you can d- d- deal with the police. And we right. certain, and, and if that is a high watermark, we have passed that long ago. No doubt, no doubt. Right, yeah. Well, if anybody has anything else, uh, I, I don't. Angel, do you have anything over there for Sal? I do not. Excellent. All right. Chris? Uh, actually, yeah, like just way off topic question. I, be- I Angel, I believe you had mentioned something about this, about asking Sal, um, 
like what like uh, just more of a lighthearted question like what what kind of stuff do you like to like to do for fun or is there any sort of like pop culture stuff that you're into like you know say like star wars or superhero stuff or anything like that you know dude i'm i'm such a nerd <clears throat> i don't even i really don't have a life I, it's it's kind of sad i if i'm not i'm either working or i am reading uh you know, um, history or economics or something like that. I do like, um, Star Wars is pretty cool, but you know, a lot of the new Star Wars, I don't like like the politically correct stuff that they've, that they've got going on and it sort of puts a bad taste in my mouth. So what I do actually is I right. read, um, I read Star Wars now rather than watch the movies because right. I can pick and choose which books to read. I don't have to, right. you know, what movie are they coming out with next? But I, I, um, I like science a lot. So I, I do a lot of like physics and, right. um, right. I'm a huge nerd, man. Like I read books on like quantum physics and stuff. It's really bad. <laughs> right. No, like I, like sometimes I have a hard time like grasping some of that, but like I'm into a lot of the same stuff. Like I've always told myself, like if like money and time were no object, like not necessarily quantum physics, but like, like just at like anything in space. Like I've always told myself yeah. like, I was born in the wrong timeline. Like I want to, I want to be born in a timeline when intergalactic space travels real. <laughs> yeah, you should, um, dude. Have you ever read Heinlein? Mm-mm. Of um, Robert, check out um, a book. It's my favorite book ever. Uh, it's called The Moon Is a Harsh Mistress. And if you like space, and uh, you know, we're talking about libertarianism and anarchism, uh, that's that's definitely a, a book that I think you would uh, enjoy. Excellent, man. I'll definitely look into that. Thanks for the recommendation. But yeah, I, I, I I'm the same. Like I'm like. I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, admittedly, Same. but like I, I, I hate Disney Star Wars. <laughs> I hate it. Like the Last Jedi was a fucking shit show. They turned Luke Skywalker into a fucking cuck. <laughs> right? Yes, yes, yes. I know what you're talking about. I'm with you 100. By the way, like I, 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 I more. right? Like I, I, I do this. Like I read a lot of Star Wars too. Um, nice, yeah, like I, and and I, I have like a, a vast collection of like the old expanded universe books, and I do the same thing. Like I just yes. pick and choose what I want to read. Like the old e- EU is vastly superior to any of the hot woke garbage that piece right. or that, that Disney. You know what's out. interesting is that um, for some reason every agorist I come across is a Star Wars fan. I mean, Sam <laughs> was, Neil was, I know Pete is, I am everybody I, I, that I know of that's into agorism is also into at least some version of like right. sci-fi or something like that, right. you know? I'm, I'm so glad I brought it up. I was like kind of like afraid that I was going to be like mention something about Star Wars and you're going to be like, get the fuck out of here. Oh, no, I did, I did a whole, um, one of the first episodes of my podcast was on like the 10 best uh, sci-fi books for libertarians. And... Uh, yeah, man, I just you know, I, I can't get enough of that stuff. Yeah, the expanded universe was awesome. Uh, I I love the uh, the old Xbox games that came out with the uh, the um, it was it the, the Knights of the Old Republic uh, and then the second one, oh, yeah. the Sith Lords, where you get introduced to like Malak and Revan, and then you, oh, I was gonna say yeah. yeah, Revan's an awesome character. Sorry to interrupt. Oh you, no, Jay. it's just, okay. <laughs> like I'm, like you you're touching on a subject that's close to my heart. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's what the you know. I was hoping that at some point in time, if Disney, which may, likes to make a lot of money and has more money than King Solomon, you know, if they went backwards in the timeline, you have. I'm not going to say they're they're comparable to like Darth Vader's character, but they're up there. They 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 play in that league. Right. They may not win the championship, but they definitely play in that league. And it'd be nice oh, yeah. if they yeah, went they backwards did. because there's so many fans 
that would really fly. I mean, you're going to get my money either way. Like, I'm going to go right. no matter what. Even if the, like, the meal could be terrible, I'm still going to show up and eat it. Like, it doesn't matter, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I wish that they would capitalize on that. And, you know, some of the, uh, I've read some of the books, like even one, one of the first ones was like uh, Dawn of the Jedi or whatever it was when they still had uh, vibro blades. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, uh, yeah. The, for lightsabers, so I, I have that book. I know what you're talking about. But yeah, that was. But yeah, my so my biggest fear though is is that uh, is that if they do go back, like I, I want them to do something with Revan, but I also don't want them to do something with Revan because I'm afraid they're gonna fucking turn Revan into a cuck like they did with Luke Skywalker, and that would just piss me the fuck off. Like I'm already pissed <laughs> off. Like, like I've like never. Oh, right, God. right. So, like, I have honestly, like, I've never, like, uh, a buddy of mine, like, we always go and watch, like, the, like, Marvel movies and, and Star Wars. Never, ever, 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 ever in my life have we ever, like, he's usually the more pessimistic, pick things apart, and I'm, I'm trying to, like, find, like, the silver lining and stuff. And never in my life have I ever gone to a movie and left the theater and been in total silence till I got back to my car with my buddy. And when we got to my car, like, we left the theater in total silence after watching The Last Jedi. And when we got to my car, he was like, so what did you think, man? And I was like, what in the fuck did we just watch? And he was like, oh, my God, I'm so relieved. He was like, I was ready to pick it apart, and I thought you were going to, like, be ready to argue with me and try and find the positive stuff. I was like, no, that that was fucking terrible. Like, the whole the scene where Luke Skywalker fucking milks the tit of that fucking space manatee. Like, what the <laughs> fuck was that? Jesus, tap in Christ on a cracker, man. Give me a fucking break. <laughs> I bet you George Lucas got paid pretty well, though. Oh, yeah, that check cashed. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Oh, that was funny, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to bring it up, man. Like, The Last Jedi came out in, what, was the, the Christmas of 2017, and I'm still fucking pissed. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta keep that fire burning, man. Keep that fire I, I alive. Do, I can't help it. Like, I go back to it all the time. There's my one buddy at work that I talk to all the time about it. And, like, I constantly, I'm like, that's the most pointless fucking scene in cinematic history. Like, I can't believe they spent money and had people animate that fucking space manatee so, mil- so Luke Skywalker could milk it and fucking drink drink it it was bullshit <laughs> oh, that's all right that, that, that's all i got I'll, well, I'll end it now <laughs> i i do have a question for sal because he mentioned uh quantum would you said quantum physics yeah yeah so as you know i don't know if you've been listening to our show but i'm on the hunt for what's going on in the woods with bigfoot and i don't know if you've heard but apparently bigfoot can interdimensional travel. So what do you think about that? He can travel interdimensionally. Well, from a scientific perspective, I'd probably tell you that it's it's not a very sound conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> um, most of those dimensions are curled up so, so, so small that they're not even, you know, they're, they're, it's not possible to even visualize them. So, so they say that there's like, you know, if string theory is right, they say there's between like 10 and like 26 of them, and we just, you know, get to play around in four of them. So imagine what the rest of them uh, are like. You know, we can't even imagine, you know, we talk about length, width, height, and time. Imagine if there's another another one of those. You know, you're, my brain can't even wrap itself around yeah, there. Say, so. like, you can't even wrap your, your mind around that. Right. No, it's like I was reading an article the other day about quantum computing and how they had figured out something with the microchip and <coughs> nanoparticles. 
um, and how to be able to make um, the electronics communicate with each other quicker. And uh, I was very excited about it, but I really didn't know what that meant for me. Um, so, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's honestly... yeah, no, Go ahead. Quantum computing is fascinating, though. But, uh, but I mean, that, that that's all I was going to say. So go ahead, it's, Sal. Sorry. It's scary, too, though, because... Um, right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're talking... We were talking earlier about um, blockchains. Mm-hmm. Well, the cryptography behind the blockchain... Uh, you know, a traditional computer can't crack that cryptography, but a quantum computer can. So, right. uh, you know, the the... A quantum computer, if they ever really figure it out, like I still think they have a lot of work to to, to go, but if they ever do figure it out, then uh, you know that could be we could be in trouble. That could be a nice tool for the central bankers that they could use against us. Yeah, but, oh, absolutely. But, but like, you I, know, I, I if know. they have quantum uh, computers, maybe we can have quantum cryptography. I know some people in Bitcoin who were talking like that, so maybe you know. Uh, if they have a technology, we we also have the same technology, right? Yeah, and that 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 was the point that I was going to make, like because I know Jay and I have talked about it, you know, like using using Big Brother's technology against them. So yes. if quantum computing does become a thing and, and and it becomes a consumer technology, you know, like you said, like you know, a quantum computer can break our current cryptography, but what you know, what if we come up with quantum cryptography and you know it becomes more on the you know, not just the central banks or the government or those who are in control have access to it if we all, all have access to it. And it's just like a point from earlier, I believe uh, Angel was asking about, you know, if, if you think they've ratcheted up the murders. And it's not that they've ratcheted up the murders. It's just that information travels and disseminates so much quicker now because of the technology that we have. It raises the awareness. Like the numbers were always there. We're just more aware of it now. Right, right. And, you know, just to touch on that point again about like, you know, if they have something, if they have one technology, we also do. Think about like um, in China, the way that they're using facial recognition technology to uh, they're going to these protests, finding out who you are. So, okay, yeah, you can you can throw, you know, rocks at us. We'll wait till you go home in the middle of the night and they're raiding people's houses and taking them to concentration camps. Uh, But um, Alex Utopium uh, who's a good, who's a very solid agorist, writes for the New Libertarian blog. He has an article on his Patreon about um, how we can use facial recognition technology to identify them. And there's certain companies now that are coming out with different products, and we see the market responding to uh, there's different hairstyles and makeups and masks and clothing that you could buy now that that throws off their. Uh, you know, facial recognition technology. So, right. you know, the, the market always stays a, a step ahead of these dirt bags. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. All right. Excellent. Anybody have anything else? Nope. That was it. No, yeah, that was it. I, I got the, I got the nerd out for a second with Sal, so I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was excellent. I'm glad that we talked about it. It's definitely nice to talk about some lighthearted things in the face of everything else that we've been talking about on the right. show. It's kind of, sure. you know, it, that's the nice thing that we've been talking about, you know, about agorism or agorism, however you want to pronounce it. Like there is just when you think that, you know, it's all going down and it's all terrible, it really, you know, there is quite a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, you know, as individuals right. there. We have a lot of choices and, you know, it really hit home with me when you're like, you know, you know, have a guard, like, you know, they're, they're really simple steps. Like, you know, you don't have to, you don't throw literature at somebody. You're like, listen, you know, buy Bitcoin, get a 3D printer, 
and 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 grow yeah, a garden. Right. That's yeah. I mean, really, I mean, I mean, I don't know how much easier it gets. I mean, the, all of those are, and you know, right. the, the Ender Three is under three hundred dollars. I, I, it really isn't. You know, when you think about three D printing, when I, you know, I'm forty, so you know, twenty years ago, a three D printer, you know, I don't even think it existed. And once I heard of it, and like they were like eight, nine thousand, ten thousand dollars, you know. And right. now you could just go on Amazon; it'll be there in two days, you know. And it's brilliant, and you know, it's not so much for you know, the things that people think that we would be doing. But there's an entire, you know, I've even seen people making minifigures for D&D if you're into that. You know, yeah. they're doing all oh, yeah. sorts of neat stuff with these uh, with these printers. So, you know, it was uh, it was not so much a relief, but it was quite empowering to hear that, you know, you could just do a couple of things that were really simple to get you on the path to at least depriving uh, the monster a little bit of revenue to, you know, bomb somebody in another country or kill an innocent human being on the streets. Just the small things that you can do as an individual. And I guess that that's the wonderful thing. It is about the individual acting in the market, in the black market, wherever it may, wherever you decide to go, it's always uh, it's always nice to see that you know that exists for us, that that option is there. It is not hopeless. So I have to thank you for that, and I'm sure there's so many other people that are very grateful for you and opening their eyes to you know th- this uh, this reality that does exist, that it's not a hopeless situation. So I got to thank you for that. Yeah, no, no. I appreciate the kind words, and I, I, you know, you, I used you put it better than I even could. I, we complain about like inflation. Well, stop complaining and do something. Use gold and silver and cryptocurrency. We complain about gun control, but all you have to do is, like you said, get a three D printer. Um, and the list goes on. You know, for every every cancerous tumor that the state lays out in front of us, there is a way around it. So. Uh, you know, like you said, start off simple, grow your own food, become your own bank and get a 3D printer. Those are the easiest steps you could take. And that's what I, I've been really trying to tell people. Like you said, rather than throwing them literature at them and handing them, you know, man economy and state or human action and saying, read this and get back to me, it'll never happen. So just right. try to break it down and make it as simple as possible for folks. Well, I think that's excellent. Uh, where can everybody find you, Sal? Uh, com is I have everything over there. Um, I'm also at Sally Mayweather on Twitter. I'm on every social media site you can think of. You can find me, really. So uh, I'm not a difficult person to locate. <laughs> All right, excellent. And we can be found on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Facebook at UseGuysPod. Email address is useguysandthatatgmail.com. Uh, Angel underscore sound girl uh, at the bloodletting is Chris and myself, Jay Colo, J-A-Y-C-O-L-E-A-U. And uh, I thank you very much, Sal, for your time this evening. Uh, it, was a, it was a really good time. Thanks for coming and uh, talking to us. Uh, we look forward to speaking to you again. Um, and uh, keep up the good work, man. We really, you really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah. And Angel, appreciate it, guys. Yep, thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. All right, take care. Yeah! <laughs>